Thank you for joining us. This is Salt and Light Baptist Church, and I am Pastor Justin Walker. We're glad to have you here today. We're going through the book of Genesis. It's a book of foundations. Not only the foundations of God's Word, but the foundations of the entire world in which we live. And we see Genesis divided into two major sections. The first is in the first 11 chapters. It's the creation of the world. It's the fall of man. It's the global flood of Noah. It's the dispersion where men are scattered abroad across the earth. And then the Bible will zoom in in chapters 12 through 50, the Bible zooms in the stories into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And so grab a Bible and come along with us today as we continue our study through Genesis. Grab a Bible and turn it open to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is where you'll be. Uh, So Genesis chapter 15, and while you're finding that, uh, I'm going to show you guys something. I was, this is my, uh, this is from 2000. 10. My daughter, my daughter brought this to me and it was, uh, it was the first year that I heard people saying YOLO and I thought that said Zolo and I, I thought she had it wrong, but it says, it says 2010. It's not Zolo. So I, <laughs> I didn't know what Zolo was. I was like, what is Zolo? <laughs> but it's 2010. Uh, so 2010 though, I remember this year pretty specifically. Uh, I had at this point in my life, I, I had kind of rocketed into being a, a dad. We went from no children to three children in, within a one year time period. We brought our girls in. I was just 20 years old and there was a 10 year old and a two year old in my house. And within 12 months of that, we had Elijah, our firstborn uh, son in the house. And so then we had three children and we proceeded to have children for the next couple of years. It seemed like every year Sarah would come and tell me she was pregnant. And, and so by 2010, I had five children and with five children in the house, uh, and I was working, uh, I was working at Walker Fabrics. I was, so I was working a full-time job and I'm, uh, in school and I was a youth pastor of a church, the Grange Heights Baptist Church is where they, she made this in Sunday school class. And, and so with five kids and working all these jobs, and I was teaching guitar lessons just to pay for my school, help pay for my school. I was teaching guitar, uh, for three nights a week. So three nights a week, I would go home and until nine o'clock at night, I would sit there and teach the guitar. And then I would go back to doing my schoolwork. And so Sarah came to me that year, 2010, and she said, Justin, what do you want for Father's Day? Because when you have little kids, they, don't, they can't get you anything. And I said, Sarah, I don't, I don't know. And she said, well, you seem a little down about that. Why, why do you act down? And I said, well, honestly, I, I feel kind of distant. I was everywhere all the time. I'm, I'm always calling people and talking with people and I'm, I'm out working at the church and I'm doing schoolwork and I'm working at my job. And I felt so distant. I said, Sarah, I got to tell you, I've got five kids. I was in my mid-20s. I was like 25 years old. And I said, I'm in my mid-20s. I've got five kids. I provide for all of them. And I don't feel much like a dad. Everybody else my age, all the other 25-year-olds were out having fun and hanging out with each other. And nobody ever invited us because, you know, we had kids. And I was like, sorry, we can't really come out with you guys tonight because, you know, we got, I had to buy Huggies. And so, you know, there was just like this kind of, so there was this distance from everybody else. And then from my family, I just felt, I didn't feel much like a dad. And Sarah didn't have much of an answer to that. But that year, Jennifer came out of Sunday school class. She was six at this year. And uh, she came out of Sunday school class and she had made me this little mug. And she came up to me and she said, they said we're supposed to make these for all the dads. And my, my little six-year-old, who would, you got to remember from my perspective, this was foster to adopt. And so my little six-year-old, she goes, and you're my dad. And so she just reminded me of this. I'm going to put that there. 
I told you guys who teared up in Sunday school class, nothing. I don't hear nothing. I can't talk about my kids without tearing up. It just happens every time. But I want you to hear this. Listen, sometimes you don't feel like what you are. Like, I didn't feel like a dad. I, I'm telling you, 25 years old, five kids, and I didn't feel like I was supposed to feel something. I'm supposed to be a dad, right? But I didn't feel that way. And today we're going to read more about Abraham. Some people got a little worried. They were like, well, you're not doing something for Father's Day? Chill, people. I got it. You're good. But we didn't have to go anywhere. God does this really amazing thing, and he just puts things right in line. And we're going right through his word. We don't have to, we don't have to deviate from that. So get into Genesis chapter 15 with me. And let's see where Abraham was in Genesis chapter 15 and just see how God just lines these things up. And we're going to see what he felt like versus where he really was. Okay, so this is Genesis 15 and verse 1. Do you have it? All right. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That's his servant. And then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these things to him. He cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite of the, of the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And then the vultures came down on the carcasses and Abram drove them away. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. And they will come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the, uh, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and yeah, even the Jebusites. Let's go to the Lord in prayer about his word. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and we ask you to open up our hearts to your word. Father, would we be so vain as to think that your word is living and that it couldn't apply to us. Would you please open our hearts right now and help us to hear from you? 
myself included. God, we are begging you. We are petitioning you. Would you please make your word come alive to us right now that we would see what you have, not just, and not just what you've written, but what you have for us, how this could apply to our lives. And Father, even more than that, may we ask you that, that we leave this place on fire for you. Father, I pray even if there's someone here right now that doesn't know you as their savior, Father, would you work in this message and would you draw them unto yourself? And may we all leave here on fire with your gospel on our lips. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, look. This is chapter 15, and then you grab verse 1 with me, and you see this, after these things. What things? What things? Anybody remember from last week? We were in, and the week before that, we were in chapter 14. And do you remember chapter 14? There was the battle. There was the big war. There was four kings versus five kings, and five kings were subject to the four kings, and the four kings, uh, they, they had this big world war, and the four kings ended up beating the five kings. But then Abraham, Abram is still, as we're reading it in Genesis, Abram came and he beat the four kings. Remember, because the four kings had taken Lot when they took Sodom, they ended up taking Lot, Abram's nephew. Did I say that confusing? Would that make sense? Abram's nephew Lot was taken in a battle, and Abram went in with 300 and some guys, and he defeats the four kings. That's not a small feat. That's a huge thing. Would you think about this for a moment? If you were in a, in a war setting and you had 300 guys and you just whooped four kings, that earthly battle, he won, took all the people back, got all the stuff back, and they bring them back to the kings. And don't you remember that was the flesh, the fleshly battle, but then there was the real battle. Remember that when the king of Sodom came and said, you can have anything you want. Sodom said, have anything you want. Just let me have the people, but you can take all the spoils of war. And Abraham said, no, I won't take that. And Melchizedek showed up. Melchizedek, who represents Jesus. Melchizedek shows up and he offered bread and wine. And here's Abram and he takes the bread and the wine and he worships God. He says no to Sodom. So are you with me? Just whoops four kingdoms, saves all the people, and then turns down the offer of the world and says, nope. I don't want anything that the world would have to offer. Don't you think in that moment that Abram should, should feel like, a tr like there's a triumph there? I mean, he just, he just won this battle. He just said no to the world. Wouldn't you think that if that was where you, if you were in that position, you would be happy and you would say like, I'm, I'm good. Like I did what the Lord wanted me to do. I saved all the people. I brought them back and I didn't take anything from the king of Sodom. And yet look, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, hmm, don't be afraid. Isn't that interesting? He, he just whooped the four kings. He just said no to the world. He just said yes to worshiping God. And after these things, God has to come to him and say, Abraham, don't be afraid. Hey, understand this, in, in this world, there's mountaintops and then there's valleys. And they come up on us pretty quick sometimes, by the way. Sometimes you can be on a mountaintop and then real quick you can be down in a valley. And obviously Abram gets down in a valley because God's got to come to him and say, don't be afraid. What might he be afraid of? Well, maybe he's afraid that the kings, Chador, Laomer, and the other three kings, maybe those four kings might try to retaliate. Maybe he's a little worried that he's ticked off Sodom and the king of Sodom. There was, a, there was a pretty large group of people at that point, and he just told them, no, you can have everything. I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich. I don't even want a piece of thread or a, or a sandal, a piece of a sandal from you, nothing. 
Maybe he's worried that Sodom's gonna, the king of Sodom's going to come and get mad. I don't know exactly why Abram might have been afraid. The word doesn't say that, but I do know that God had to come to Abram and say, you don't have to be afraid. You see, our perception is that Abraham should be on this mountaintop experience. He just won. And God has to come to him and say, don't be afraid. How many times does that happen when we're probably looking at other people as well? I know sometimes that happens. People view me as a pastor and they think, well, I'm telling you it happens because they'll regularly say to me, I thought you were a pastor. Well, friends, pastors struggle. And sometimes we struggle with spiritual things. And sometimes we struggle with emotional things. We're, We're people too. That's thank you. The the youth pastor gave me an amen on that when y'all think about that. So listen, that happens. But how many times do we do it to other people as well? I remember one time we were in my attic. I was a teenager. We were in my attic and Sarah was helping me. We were teens. We were dating at the time. We were pulling stuff out of the attic for a yard sale. And we found our old Ninja Turtle costumes, my, mine and my brother's. Remember Ninja Turtles? And so I had, I was Donatello. He had the bow and the little purple, the little purple mask and little purple elbow pads and knee pads. And my brother was Michelangelo. He had the orange ones. And my brother was Raphael. He was red and had the little ninja size. And Sarah goes, that's so funny. I used to be, when I was a kid, I used to be Leonardo. You know, the, the blue one with a sword. And, and, and listen, I don't know what this motion means, but you can probably get the vision that I had. She said, I used to take that sword and hit my dad with it. <laughs> Look at Tom shake his head. Yeah. So she said, I, hit, I don't know exactly how hard she'd hit her dad, but this was the motion she made. So I'm pretty sure I've got a good idea. And I remember a teenager, I was in the attic and I said, Sarah, I said, you used to hit your dad with the sword? Why? And this is what she said to me. She goes, he's my dad. He can take it. Even as a teenager, her perception was like, he's my dad, he can take it. Listen, if you've ever wrestled with kids, like I'm, I'm a dad and I've got a bunch of kids and we'll start wrestling. And then sometimes they'll, they get a little over the top and they think, you know, they're going to get dad off the float in the pool or they're going to get him off the couch or whatever we're doing. And all of a sudden somebody starts hitting hard and you're like, ah, oh, I still got nerves. But their perception, right? Their perception is what? Their perception is you ought to be able to take it. Well, sometimes friends, I just can't take it. Even as a dad right? Sometimes we just can't take it. And I want to say this to you. I want you to pay attention to this. Look, Abram, God had to come to Abram in a vision and say, don't be afraid. And check out what God says. I love this. God said, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. Abram just turned down the reward, didn't he? Abram just won the Chador Laomer battle, four kings against five kings. Abram won a battle. God says, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I've got you. Abram just turned down the reward and God said, don't worry about that. I am your reward. I want everybody to hear this line. Everybody needs to get this. For all of the times in life that I am not, God says, I am. I am all the things. God says, I am to all the things that I say, I am not. I am not strong enough. And God says, I am strong enough. I'll lift you up. I'm not good enough. And God says, you don't have to be good enough. I'm good enough. I'm not righteous. Friends, I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I'm not righteous. I've been made righteous, but I'm not righteous. I've been justified as righteous, but I'm not. If you're looking at my life thinking, oh, he's a righteous man, you're wrong. I've been made righteous because I trusted in Christ. And when I said, I am not righteous, God said, I am righteous and I'll make you righteous. And I'm not holy, but God says, I am holy. Do you get it? 
God is the great I am for all of this life's I am not. I can't do it, but God can. You see, right now, I don't know where you are, but I know where I am, and I know what I see on the news and on Facebook, and everything just seems to be going crazy. And I'm telling you, there are moments right now in this very present moment where I say, I don't know what to do. And some of you are even calling me like, well, what should we do? Like, what should the church do? And I'm like, I don't really know. I've never really come out of a pandemic and then have a bunch of riots. So, you know, and who knows exactly what happened, <laughs> right? Thank you. Like, there's a, there's, a, there's a thing happening here that I'm unfamiliar with too. But I'm telling you, when I am not, God says, I am. And God is very present. Would you turn somewhere in your Bible? Would you turn, it, would you turn over to the, to the Psalms? Would you turn over to Psalms and get to verse four, chapter 46 and verse 1? Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1. Psalm 46 and 1. Did you find it? God is our refuge and strength. And this, this is the part I really want you to hang on to right here. A very present help in trouble. He's not a distant help. It's not just a promise of help that's to come. God says, I am a very present help for right now, for today. And so not only are we with today, that was verse one. All right, guys, I got to keep going. <laughs> Is it hot in here? Uh, verse two, Abram said to the Lord, what will you give me? I'm back in Genesis 15, if I confused you. In verse two, Genesis 15 and verse two. But Abram said to the Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. Let's just stop there for a moment. Do you understand what's happening? God says, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. Don't be scared, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. And Abram looks back at God. And I don't think he's being smart, Alec, and he's not being rude. God doesn't get on Abram for saying this. Abram says to God, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? I go childless. You've promised me. Think about this. God promised him, you're going to be a great nation and all nations of the whole world are going to be blessed by you. And yet at this point, Abram still has no children. And by the way, he's in his mid eighties. He was 75 when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He's had enough time to move out and travel around the land and see the land of promise that God was promising to him. He's had enough time for God to make promises to him. And he had a big old fight with Lot and then he had to go rescue Lot. There's been all of that time elapsed. More than likely, we're dealing with at least 10 years from 75 until we get to this point. The man is in his mid 80s and he goes, God, what are you going to give me? You've made this promise, this promise for this future generation that's going to come from my line. Where? Where's that coming from? Where we get, where, where's the promise? And then he goes on. He does what we all do. He points out what he has in his own life. He looks at his own strength and he demonstrates his own strength by going, the only thing I have is Eleazar. Now, Eleazar is a good servant. Later on, we'll see him. The trusted servant goes out to find Isaac, a wife. He's a good servant. He was born in Abraham's house. Abraham obviously loved Eleazar and was good to Eleazar. And so Abraham says, I've got Eleazar. He was born in my own house. And then God picks back up in verse four. And the Lord said to him, this one shall not be your heir. No, no, it is not Eleazar. Look what he says. I love this. I, do, you, do you know how much I say that? <laughs> I love all these verses. I love this one though. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. 
And then he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. By the way, if you remember from Genesis chapter 13, God told him one time to look at the dust of the ground. Now he takes him outside and says, look at the stars. Whether he looks down or looks up, there's a reminder that God had made this promise to him. And here's the promise. Your descendants are going to be just like that. You won't be able to number them. It'll be just like the dust, the sand on the ground. You're not going to be able to number it. Like the stars in the heavens, you can't number it, Abram. There is not enough numbers that you could count. You won't be able to, Abram. That's the promise that I am making to you, Abram. See, Abram, when he, when he looks at God and he says, God, I can't, God says, I, I am. I am not, God says, I am. Well, then when he looks to the future and says, where's this heir? And I love what God said there in verse four. He said, this one's not gonna be your heir, but one who will come from your body. One who is your own heir. Listen to this, not only when I am not, God is I am, but when I can't, God is the I will. You know what God has promised you? God has promised to prepare a place for you in his own son, Jesus. And you might be like Abraham and look around and go, where is that? Where is that? And all the confusion and all of the pain and all of the turmoil, where is that? And you know what God says? I will. I will do exactly what I've promised you I will do. Look at this with me. Turn in your Bible again. I know we're going to go a little late, but it won't be really late. Just a little. I promise. There's a plan here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. So you're in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, after Acts and Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. This is the question that I will ask you right now. Will you believe that God actually has prepared a place for you? Look back at Genesis chapter 15. God makes this promise. Look at the stars. If you can count them, that'll be the number of your descendants. And look at this in verse six. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. I was a, a teenage boy and I was a teenager. I was about 16 and I bought, if, if you've ever seen my little ranger, with the roll bar on it, because that's cool and it's not redneck. And so uh, if you've ever seen my Ranger, I bought that when I was 16 years old. And, and I, you know, some people are going to drive their car till the wheels fall off. I'm going to put the wheels back on and keep driving it. I'm never getting rid of the Ranger, Lord willing. I'm keeping it for my whole life. I love my little truck. I don't care that it doesn't have AC. I'm good with that. I'll deal with it. I love that truck. And, and I'm, I'm really proud of that truck because I, I bought that truck. And, uh, and so I was 16 and I bought my truck and, and I had this friend named Gary and, uh, and his dad didn't really help him so much. I mean, my dad helped me get my truck and he helped look at it for me. It was his before and he looked it over for me real good before, before I bought it from him. And, and uh, Gary didn't have that. And so Gary didn't get his license and then he didn't get a car. And he's about to turn 18 years old. He's like six months away from turning 18 years old. And, uh, 
And I'm talking to him. I'm trying to convince him to buy a car. I'm like, you really need a car, you know, if you're going to get to work. He was working at McDonald's and would, like, walk there every day. And I'm like, we, if you get a car, we could go a little further. And he keeps denying me, no, 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 no. Well, finally, one day, he rolls up in this car, and it is, it's, it's junk. Like, like, I'm talking, like, my dad went and helped him look at it, and there was, like, paper clips holding stuff together under the hood, like that type of junk. It was a junky car. And then to go anywhere, he would have to drive, like, two miles to get to work, and he would have to put oil in before he left, and then he'd get to work, and he'd have to put oil in before he could go back home. He had to keep oil in the back in the trunk. And I was like, Gary, why, why are you driving that car? We could, we could help you get a better car. And so my dad told him, my dad said, Gary, I will help you look for another car. Sell that car, and I'll help you look for another one. And Gary kept denying. He said, no, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. It. And Gary used to live at my house and like not totally live at my house. But it was that guy who just kind of was always there. And so he, he stayed the night one night. It's late in the night. And I said, Gary, why will you not let my dad look at that car? And he said, well, honestly, Justin, I've, I've got a settlement coming when I turn 18. And he said, so when I turn 18, I'm going to buy a, a brand new car. And so I don't really care about this one. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you knew Gary and you knew the situation, you would understand when I tell you, like, I didn't believe him. I thought, okay, sure. Okay, there's a settlement coming. I'm like, Gary, like, my dad's offered to help you. It was like a $500 car. He said, like, sell the car, get the 500 back. And Gary's like, no, I'm telling you, there's a settlement coming. I was like, okay, Gary, you know, whatever. And so my dad asked me later, he said, what happened with Gary's car? Is he going to let us help him with it? We'll sell it and try to get him a better one. I said, no, dad, he's not going to let us sell his car and try to get a better one. He says that he has a settlement coming. And my dad said, he was like, okay, (laughs) nobody believed Gary. I promise you 18th birthday, Gary's 18th birthday, standing out front. And here comes, by the way, this is show a little age here. Brand new 2003 Volkswagen Jetta with subs that he had put in the back. Like he went straight from the dealership over to Robert's Auto and had some subs put in the back. And he comes rolling up and I see this guy like thumping in a, in a Jetta outside of, my, outside of my house. And so the window rolls down and it's Gary and he just kind of waves at me and he goes, I told you there was a settlement. Like he'd remembered six months later that I did not believe him. And he, he's wanted to wave at me just to say, like, I told you there was a settlement. Friends, here's what God is telling you. There is a place prepared for you. And what God wants from you is to believe that. Will you believe that he has something already prepared for you? And so God takes it even further. He's been making the promise and you hear these words in the Bible and we'll go over this kind of quickly because what we go now to is the covenant. We go past the promise and God makes this covenant. Abram says this to God. Look at, we pick up in verse seven. God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so God says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Pay attention to the fact that God said, bring me these things. Bring me a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old heifer. Go ahead and bring me a pigeon and bring me these animals. Notice what happens after that. God, all God said was bring them to me. And look in verse 10, and then he brought all these to him. Seems kind of crazy if you don't really know what's going on. Abraham cut them in two down the middle. And placed one on either side. And he did not cut the birds. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. Now that's foreign to us, but you have to understand in the ancient world, basically this means it's a really serious contract. Okay? The idea was like, we're going to split these animals. There's a bloody 
middle and there's half of the animal over here and half of the animal over here and both parties who are going to enter into the contract they would pass through the middle through that bloody middle and the significance was if you don't do what you say you're going to do this is what should happen to you now if you don't like that just accept it for what it is it's a really serious deal this isn't a joke this is serious we've cut it down the middle there's a bloody middle but do you understand what happens do you see this abram got him god said go get these animals abram knew exactly what to do it was a custom of the day wasn't shocking to Abram. Abram. Abram splits them down the middle and he sets them on either side. But then look, he, didn't, he doesn't cut the, the birds. They have a different role. And then in verse 11, when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram had to drive them away. Abram's like sitting there waiting. Do you get it? He's cut the animals in half and he's sitting there waiting and God's not there yet. And he's waiting. God's not there yet. Maybe he's dozing off a little bit and he hears some flapping around. He looks over and hears some vultures coming, trying to peck at the, uh, he's coming to try to peck at the carcasses. By the way, I almost made the entire sermon out of that right there. Cause later on, Jesus tells us about the sower who sows the seed and the birds came. Remember the birds, that was Satan who came and pulled them away. We could have made a whole thing right there, but I'll let you just use your own imagination. And so the vultures come down and Abram's got to go drive the vultures away. And so look what happens in verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. We're still not at the covenant yet. Nobody's passed through. Nobody's walked in the bloody mess yet. He goes down into a deep sleep. Abram says, there's a, there's a horror. He fell, uh, fell into a deep sleep and Abram, and behold, a, a horror, a great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will serve them. They will afflict them 400 years and also a nation uh, whom they serve, I will judge afterward and they shall come out with great possessions. God is warning Abram before it ever happens. He says, Abram, you ask me for a sign. And before I give you the sign, you need to know that trouble is on its way. That's going to happen. Your descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years. And by the way, have you ever paid attention to the fact that nearly 100 years before they were put into slavery, before the, the uh, Hebrew people were put into slavery in Egypt, God predicted that it was going to happen just like that? Later on, when you get to the book of Exodus, you open the book of Exodus with the Hebrews being enslaved for 400 years. And God had predicted that way back here with Abram. This darkness falls on him and he recognizes something. The same thing that Abram had to go through, by the way, the whole nation had to go through. The whole nation had highs and lows. And he says, the nation that's going to come from you, they're going to go into slavery. But don't let that detour you. Don't let that detour you, Abram. The promise I have made to you, it's a good promise. This is what God's getting at. Here's what's going to happen. But trust me, it's a good promise. I'm going to make good on the promise. So Abram wakes up. Check this out in verse 15. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so in verse 17, it came to pass that the sun went down and it was dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given the land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Did you understand that? As the sun was going down, Abram dozed off. A darkness fell on him. A horror fell on him. And God told him that what was going to happen to his family in the future, these descendants, what would happen to them. When Abram wakes back up, it's become dark outside. And he looks over at the pieces. He looks over at the animal pieces. And he sees a smoking oven and a torch going through the middle of the pieces. 
I've read every commentary I could find, and I got a bunch. Nobody touches, like they all say the same thing. They're all like, the oven and the torch mean that this, is, that this was a solemn oath from the Lord. And I cried out to God all week and said, God, why an oven? I don't get it. I mean, of all the things, like God comes down in a dove, that makes, that's cool, that makes sense. Like there are certain things that God does that make total sense. But then this, I said all week long, Lord, I don't understand why an oven why a torch would, why, why would God reveal himself to Abram as a smoking oven and as a torch? And it was just this very morning I was praying and saying, Lord, I still don't understand. And I almost came here this morning to tell you that I really didn't understand exactly why there'd be an oven and a torch passing through the middle of the pieces. And then it hit me. The oven and the torch were both things that God had, th- those were things if, in, in an earthly perspective from an earthly side. We would have to prepare those. For the oven to smoke, there'd have to be something in it. For the torch to be lit, somebody would have to light it. And here is God passing through the middle. He just promised him. Do you get this? Check this out. God just promised him, right? God says, when you are not, I am. God says, when you can't, I will. And then check this out. He's cut the pieces in half and he wakes up and there's the smoking oven and the torch going right through the middle. And look at this. Look what happens. Let's just pick up at the end of the story. You'll see it. You'll see it right here. I'm in, oh, I got the wrong page. I'm in verse uh, oh, 18. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, check this out, you ready? To your descendants. How many years before his descendants are we? Like a hundred years, right? But yet a hundred years earlier, look what he says, to your descendants. I'm gonna say it wrong. You ready? I've, pre- I've prepped you. I will give. Does your say I will give? To your descendants, I have already It's already done. It's already prepared. Do you get it? Listen, when you say to God, how can I know? How can I know? God, if you say I'm the great I am, if you say I'm the great I will, how can I know that? Are you ready? Because God already has. He's already done it in his son, Jesus. The work has already been paid. The way has already been paved. You can come to God and you can know that you can go to God because of his son, Jesus. What sign would you give me, God, that I will know that your promise is good? That's what Abram said. And you know what God said to him? I've prepared the way. Did you notice that it was only God who passed through the middle of the pieces? God didn't need Abram to pass through the bloody pieces. God passed through the bloody pieces all by himself because it was all on him. He has prepared the way. A couple of years ago, my, uh, now, if you're putting that together, by the way, you should be right now saying, you just said that the Lord gave that to you this morning. That's right. And then I came up with an illustration. <laughs> so that's how, they, that's how it works. And so, and so my wife and I, we, we have a whole bunch of kids. And last year, now two years ago, all the kids decide they want to play baseball. I say all. Four kids of six decided. Jenny worked in the uh, concession stand. So there was, there was five that had to get to the ball field. I'm telling you, if you've ever been in a baseball game in the middle of summer, it is hot, long days. We would have to go. We were going to be at the ball field all day long. And we knew this was going to happen. Sarah came to me and she said, uh, she said, all the kids want to play baseball. And I said, you want all the kids to play all at the same time? And she said, well, yeah. And I'm, I'm panicked. I'm like, well, how are we going to, we were running from one field to the other just to see him bat. We would like, they'd be all playing at the same time. It would happen sometimes that way. And so uh, I knew it was going to be a long day at the ball field. And so I, I said to Sarah, I said, uh, 
we had this little red wagon and we put all our stuff in it. We were those people that came with like a tent and all these chairs and coolers and, and some people laughed, but then y'all enjoyed my snacks. So, uh, so listen, so we would, we'd pull the wagon. And, and so I said to Sarah, I said, did you remember to pack the cooler with, with plenty of waters? She said, yeah, I got, I got the waters. I said, well, did you remember to get the sunscreen? Cause some of the kids burn easy. I said, remember to get the sunscreen? She said, yeah, I got the sunscreen. And I'm walking around the house trying to gather. So I said, what about sunglasses? Did you get everybody sunglasses? She goes, yeah, I, I got the sunglasses, Justin. Come on, we got to go. So then I'm, I said, what about all the kids' baseball gear? And Sarah grabbed me by the face because that's how she'll get my attention. She just grabbed me. And she said, with a big smile, Sarah, this just, if you know her, you know I'm telling the truth. She just grabbed me by the face. And she said, Justin, I got it all. It is all taken care of. All you have to do is believe me. Get in the car. We have to go. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's how it really happened. From that moment forward, you know what would happen? Every time I'd come home from work and there was a ball game, I'd see the van backed up to the door and you, knew what I would, you know what I knew? Sarah had it all taken care of. She packed it all up and we, I would get out of one car and I would get into the second car and we would drive to the ball field because I knew that she had taken care of it. Listen, I'm telling you today, God has it taken care of. He's prepared it for you. All he's asking of you is to do just what Abraham did. Will you believe him? Will you believe in what God has promised? that he'll give you eternal life by putting your faith in his son, Jesus. That's what it means. That's why baptism doesn't do it. I love baptism. I want to baptize. Several of you need it. I still don't know why you're waiting. But listen, the, I, baptism's great, but it's not going to save you. There's no act that you can do. All God wants from you is to believe him. If you'll trust him, he'll save you. And that's what I'm asking you to do right now. Let's all stand up on our feet. And if you've not trusted in the Lord as your savior, let's make that right, right in this moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, that you have given us your son, Jesus. And thank you that you've made an opportunity for us to come to you by faith. God, thank you that you have offered us your grace. And you've not asked us to do anything other than to believe on your son, Jesus who has died for our sins and rose for us. God, we just want to take a moment and we, not just, we don't just say thank you, but we also want to ask you for every heart that is in this building and everybody that is watching. God, if somebody doesn't know you as their savior, would you please draw them unto yourself right now? Lord, they know who they are and you know who they are. And I can't reach their hearts, but you can. So God, would you please reach down and get a hold of their hearts? And would you draw them unto yourself? And would you reassure them with the assurance of your son, Jesus? Would you assure them, Father, that they can be saved simply by faith in him? God, we are begging you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you made it all the way through the sermon. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Don't forget you can find all of our sermons at saltandlightbaptist.com slash media. You can join us live on Sunday morning on Facebook or at saltandlightbaptist.com slash live. We'll see you next week.